0: Welcome to this episode of the AEC Engineering and Technology podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping engineering professionals find technology that fits their needs. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Joe, an associate professor at Clemson University about the fascinating intersection of drones and the built environment. Joe will talk about the data drones can collect and how contractors, designers, and project owners can utilize this information. We'll also delve into the process of obtaining a drone license, starting a drone program, and available training options. Joe, welcome to the show. Nick, I appreciate you having me on. Could you just give our listeners just a little bit more background about yourself and what you're doing on a daily basis? My name is Joe
1: Bergen. I'm a professor at Clemson University, which is a, uh, an R1 University in South Carolina, the upstate. Uh, I teach in our construction management department, and I am actually a general contractor by trade. And in that role, I do lots of different things. Of course, teach classes, and we also do research and service outreach. And my area of both teaching, research, and service are all in the applied drone technology. So when I say applied, I mean using off-the-shelf technology. I don't build better mousetraps, but I use what's out there and help companies and um, DOTs and federal highways and other government organizations incorporate drones into their workflow and help stand uh, drone programs up
0: and as we know right just the topic of reality capture has just become huge no matter what segment of the industry and you're in right so could you just give the audience one an overview of kind of drones and their capabilities but then also like what type of data they can collect in the built environment
1: so again, what I always tell folks, because drones are cool, right? I mean, the, the 12-year-old in us you know, thinks they're great and fun to fly, but at the end of the day, they're a data capturing tool, right? They're a tool, not a toy. There's really kind of four groupings of sensors that are out there. The vast majority, or at least the, the largest market, is just a regular RGB camera, right? So it takes images. And it creates a 2D image, and within that image, it's got the metadata of where the drone was when it took it. I'll speak more to that in a minute, but so just video and and photography, that's probably the largest use case. The next behind that is thermography, where you've got a different sensor on here capturing IR data, And you can use that to be able to find uh, leaks in your building, uh, energy leaks in the building, what I really mean, where air conditioning or heater pouring out or defects or leaks, roof defects, quality control, that kind of good stuff. The next two, and those are probably the dominant, I hate to even put percentages with it, but those are really the dominant use cases. The next two that I see are really specialized, one being LiDAR, and that's for really high accuracy survey work. And that's definitely the equipment costs are higher, but you really see that in the uh, surveying space uh, when they're looking at large areas. And then the next is multispectral. Again, that's another unique sensor. That's primarily used in the agriculture market and and trying to do plant health. So that's kind of the buckets of sensors and the data that drones are collecting, at least right
0: now. You can take any four of those sensors, right? Rig it up to a drone, right? It doesn't just have to be an RGB camera because what is a drone but just a... uh a means to let a, a sensor go fly and access different areas, right?
1: When you actually say drone, I mean drone's kind of a common term, what you know, what you hear people call it and in the FAA and more professional spaces is UAS or unmanned aircraft system. And to your point, yeah, UAS is just a, a platform and it and of itself does nothing. I mean it might be fun to fly, but that's recreation, not professional. It's what's underneath it that's capturing the data. And then it giving us additional intelligence to go do something with.
0: So then Joe, like in the context of construction projects, right? You've got this drone with one of these four types of sensors. How are contractors, designers, and project owners actually using the data that the drone with the sensor is collecting? And one of the reasons I really love the business
1: I'm in is we're practical people, right? If you can't show me a benefit then it's not a good... Uh, use of funds. So I'll mention some here. And by the way, everything I'm going to mention here is like what contractors are doing now with off the shelf technology and with some, but not a great deal of training, but some. And I'm going to start with kind of the base case and then move to kind of the more exotic and more advanced uses. But one is just simple flying camera marketing pictures. You know, I've been in this business long enough to know that we always have aerial images, at least for our commercial jobs. And Even if you're in a large city type of area, you know, it costs money, you know, I mean, to have a manned aircraft go out there and capture that data just for progress photos. So now we can do it ourselves, but more over than that, we can fly low, unique uh, vantage points, and our marketing people love it. Uh, And the same thing with video, capturing that really high-quality video flying through around buildings that they're able to showcase the good work the contractors are doing. That's probably the first use case, but that is like the tip of the iceberg. Moving beyond that, our uh, contractors are using it for inspection purposes, being able to put eyes in the sky on things, weld plates or flashing, that it's a little unsafe or dangerous to get someone there to inspect that. So you can put a drone in the air to inspect it without having put a person there and document it. And now that we've got even these lower cost drones, these high magnification zoom lenses, You don't have to be really close and really capture some amazing detail. We're also remote broadcasting that out. All commercial drones now, for the most part, have the ability to remote broadcast in real time. So if you're doing a critical pick or you're doing some important aspect of the job, maybe waterproofing, you can film that, broadcast that out to the consultants, the specialty consultants, owners, the safety guy, you know, whoever wants to see it. But again, that's still in the, you know, flying camera space. Where contractors are seeing a lot of value now is creating these uh, digital twins. And what we can do is we fly a drone around and we take a whole bunch of pictures. And, you know, within the picture is just not, of course, the 2D collection of pixels that represent the image. But the three-dimensional location of where the drone is, the cardinal direction, north, south, east, west, of where the drone is pointing and the angle in which the camera is. So if you compile all that, you throw all those images into some software, it stitches them together, and it creates a 3D model of your building. And this, by the way, sounds complicated. It's you know, It could be a 10-minute mission to fly and a 10-minute exercise to throw in the software, and you're spitting out a hyperlink that you can email out to your clients every Friday afternoon of what your job looks like. And with that model, it's basically creating an as built to your job. So you know what was constructed for billing purposes. You can extract quantities off of that for billing purposes. You can show progress to your client, and then your client can send it to their boss and make them look good and show them all that kind of good stuff. For our residential contractors, they love it. They submit, they, you know, every Friday they send what the work they've, they've done to their homeowners. And the homeowners forward that link all to their friends and family and are just super impressed and proud of their new house. And that's how residential contractors get repeat work is just through word of mouth. So again, creating that 3D model for liability control and being able to turn that over to the owner at the end of the job saying, hey, look, here's a a weekly digital twin of your building throughout construction that you now have for the life of your building. And 50 years from now, you can go back in time and say, what did this building look like? at this point in time. And if anything were to go wrong, it's a great diagnostic tool to find the problem or to identify who's liable for that issue. And then finally, I'll mention just demography I mentioned that before. This is just using thermal imagery to take uh, building scans and being able to see where insulation might be missing. It's not x-ray vision, but you can look into concrete block walls and see if grout is missing in the cells, uh, just because of the thermal massing, that sort of thing. Leaks, uh, you can find leaks in a building and and various different uh, roofing aspects. So a lot of intelligence can be gleaned
0: from the thermal side if you know what you're looking for. There's a little bit of an art to that, though. We can get into some of the more, right, sophisticated terms like photogrammetry, 3D reconstruction, as you mentioned, LIDAR and thermography, right? But really what it comes down to is just being able to better get the information that you need for your people and your clients and one use case that's so interesting is progress tracking like usually on job sites right somebody's going around with pen and paper saying yeah yeah we installed this much drywall we installed this much pvc plumbing right but it sounds like there's just a different perhaps better way to do some of these tasks now with drones than there was in the past
1: there's a big difference between data and information right so data is just I guess you could call it knowledge, right? But information is something you can do something with. So in another life, I was a contractor as a project manager and I a superintendent, you know, with a digital camera and, and take thousands of pictures and give it to me on a flash drive. And it's like, well, this is great. You know, this is a whole lot of data. I don't know what to do with this. If there's ever a leak somewhere, I don't know what of the million pictures you just gave me where I'm to look. But that's different now where we're much better at managing our data and using, you know, software and AI and things like that. And a drone's a good example. You know, it's going to take all of this data. Literally, a good-sized commercial project with a single scan could be a thousand images, right? That's more than a human being is going to be able to just kind of, you know, rifle through efficiently. But if you take all that and you throw it into a 3D model, right? You've got one 3D model that you can spin it around. You can look at. You can turn upside down. And if there's an area that you want to look in, well, you just pinch it. You pinch in. You zoom in, and you pull up. You know this one corner. I'm going to look at all 25 pictures that were used to reconstruct this 3D model. Photogrammetry, right? Or if you knew a specific period of time. So again, it's a way of organizing your data. And presenting it in a way that means something. So even people who aren't in construction, they may not know what this one detail is or this three images are, but if you put them all together and say, look, this is the job. This is what it looks like as of 25 minutes ago, right? And you can forward it out to a lot of different people. You know, I have some contractor colleagues that make it a routine thing to send their job, a 3D model to their senior superintendent and their safety guy every week. Those guys aren't going to make it to their job every week uh, to do a detailed review, but if it's just a hyperlink, they'll click on that hyperlink in an email, open up the 3D model, spin it around and provide some high level guidance in like, Hey, junior soup, you know, you're doing a good job out there, but you know what? Your trenches are starting to get a little deep. You might start thinking about some fall protection here, or, you know, Hey, look, I noticed where you got your crane road here. Why don't you consider doing this? It might save you a little bit of time. That, the intelligence you get from the experienced personnel you can't fly them all over the country but they'll open an email and they'll look at a 3d model if it's just a click of a link right so it's not just about collecting data it's packaging it and getting it to the right people
0: through all of this valuable now we're talking about information instead of just data but somebody has to collect that data right so it can be essentially turned into good information can you talk about the process of actually obtaining a drone pilot's license and what the requirements all are? That's one of those things that, you know, for those who are not familiar with this,
1: especially when I'm talking to like CEOs and, you know, C-level individuals for large companies and corporations. And they ask me that question. And as soon as I say license, oh my goodness, you know, that seems pilot's license, that seems like a major barrier. And it's not. Uh, So let me kind of talk through that. So um, in order for you to operate a drone for commercial purposes, you do need a pilot's license. And that sounds scary, but it's not. The FAA enacted uh, back in 2016 what they affectionately call or what is called uh, the Part 107. And it's based off of the Code of Federal Registers, Title 14. It's a series of rules and you need to kind of study for it. And there is a test involved. So you'll go to a third party testing site and take a two hour test. And if you were to go off the street and just attempt it flat footed without a background and aviation, you would fail. You would not pass it. But there are a whole lot of places online that for like 200 bucks, you can go through a little training class and you can be taught what you need to know to pass the test from a regulatory point of view that's all you need to do basically spend 200 bucks you know maybe 10 20 hours of studying send somebody through pass a test and you are licensed that is a critical component you need to have licensure and you know it would be against the rules illegal to fly without a a license i'm not diminishing the importance of that by any means if you think about that everything i said is, is you have to take a knowledge test right there is no proficiency component to that. So, it's the only license I can think of where you can be 100% fully licensed without ever demonstrating your ability to do the thing that you are now licensed to do. There's more to it, there's lots of training classes that are out there. The one that Clemson offers for professionals uh, includes part 107, but then we also do flight skills. You know, we teach people how to fly. And then we dive into, okay, now you know the, your license and now you know how to fly. Well, how do you start doing mission planning? And how do you check those things like airspace in the real world? And fortunately, most of the time, there's a free app that does all this stuff for us. You need to have the skills to be able to get up in the air to collect data. But then you also need to have the skills to be able to use the data and turn that into information that it's actionable. So at Clemson, anyway, when we do our professional development, we have a photogrammetry piece. We use Drone Deploy as our structure for motion solution, but there are PIX4D and Agisoft. There's lots of different software that's out there to be able to create those 3D models, which, by the way, in our program, it's a week. You know, it's really like maybe an eight-hour session where you get all the information you need to be able to create those really cool 3D models in-house. It is not BIM. BIM is a very difficult, steep learning curve. Photogrammetry is not that. You can get from zero to 60 pretty quickly with that. And then we also teach thermography too. Again, just to kind of, that was a little harder. There is a little bit of a science behind IR that you do need to kind of learn before you can take data and turn it into information.
0: Joe, you've brought up some great points here because when you really think about it, right, you have the end goal in mind, right? There's some amount of information you want to get to stakeholders, but you don't always need to be the one to collect it yourself, right? So could you talk about starting a drone program in a company, but I'd also like you to touch on like, does that company need to have the pilots in-house or is there just creative ways to get the data that you need to then turn it into information?
1: So, a couple of different avenues. You're right. So, at the end of the day, you know, if you work for a contractor, or an architect, or a consultant, or whatever, you're in the business of building something or designing something, right? You are not in the business of flying a drone. Flying a drone is just a, a means to collect data to do your job better. So, if you're not interested in bringing it in house, there's a couple of different options. So, there are plenty of private companies out there that have equipment and have the expertise and you can subcontract that out and that was really in vogue I don't know maybe four years five years or so ago and part 107 was pretty new you hired it out right you subbed it out subcontractor liability was went to them and all that kind of stuff so that's one option that's still uh, eligible another option that's out there is there are a number uh, drone collection services drone up being one and and there's several others it's kind of like an uber service but for drones where you as a client will contact them, say, look, I have this job and I want someone to fly the drone for me once a week, once a month, whatever. Uh, You describe it and then they have a network of pilots and just like Uber and Lyft or whatever, they have a network of drivers where they reach into their network, they find a pilot and then quote you something. And you can just kind of repeat doing that. So it's kind of a, it can be expensive, I mean, it depends on where you live. If you're in an urban area where there's a lot of people in that network, it can drive the cost down. But if you're in a rural area, it can be a thousand or more just to get them out there. So that's another option. And if you're only going to be doing using the drone data infrequently, those two options are probably your best bet. But if you want to start you know, using this more frequently and again, the technology is growing and drones aren't going away. I generally encourage people to kind of more bite the bullet and start investing in the technology and bringing it in-house because it will be cheaper in the long haul. Training one or two or three pilots is, I my judgment, I think probably the, the smart move. The equipment cost has gone down. It's, you know, you can get a really good quality commercial drone for a couple thousand dollars. You can get your pilots trained for a couple thousand dollars. There's lots of different training options that are out there. Uh, Clemson, I'll just mention our program here. We have an online professional development drone course that we bill as comprehensive. Ours is $3,500, and it gets you your Part 107, all the photogrammetry skills, thermography skills. We teach flying with our simulator, so it's kind of all-encompassing and if anyone's interesting, shameless plug here, ClemsonDrone.com. So that's my only shameless plug in there, but I'm the instructor for it. So I'm obviously pretty proud of the product that we have. So you can take our course and then buy a drone in the the $6,000 range and you're kind of good to go. You know, you might have to buy some insurance and a few other things there, but $6,000 is not a big expense if you're a, a large commercial contractor that wants to Start using this data on multiple jobs over multiple years.
0: There's always the option of training those couple of in-house pilots for your bread and butter. Maybe for um, GCs, it's reality capture on their standard new builds, right? You get one of your project engineers trained up and you're flying at recurring intervals. But if you get asked to do a special project or something more unique from a client, right? If you don't have the skills in-house and it's not a typical job, maybe you just outsource it.
1: It is one of those things that it all depends on what you want to do. To your point, what I most commonly see with folks that are just getting into it, they do usually task one of their junior project managers or junior project engineers, and and this is just something that they do. Oftentimes, it's one of the bigger jobs that can afford to buy the equipment, and then you know that junior member might be tasked with other different jobs. You know, once a month taking pictures. Or in pre-construction, that's another use case where, hey, there's this really big job we want to get. Let's send Joe, the new project engineer, out to cap some good images that will really make our presentation just pop, right? Uh, Especially if you can get some like thermal images or some photogrammetry and you can spot problems with the existing building that might be there and bring that to the pre-con meeting. Or you're not relying on Google Earth for your logistics. You can say, hey, look, yeah, here's our logistics plan based off of what the site looked like an hour ago, type of stuff. It just those little things that just show to clients that you're not doing things the way that have always been, that you're forward-looking and embracing technology. That's generally really well-received by clients.
0: If you had one final piece of advice to give the audience, especially those who are interested in incorporating drones and drone technology into their projects, what would it be? So I'm a professor, so I
1: can't say anything like one thing. I have to have an outline and a PowerPoint behind me, but I'll keep it short with this. One, the technology is, is very accessible. Contractors are already doing this now. It is not in the lab. If you're not embracing it now, in the near future, you'll kind of be left behind. So that's kind of one point is that this stuff is now and kind of expected by clients. My next point is to get in the game is not a lot of barriers, right? There are some things about, like I said, licensure and some good training and those type of things. There is equipment costs, so there are some barriers, but the barriers to entry are pretty low to be able to start a, a good drone program. Point number three is get licensed. Do not fly any drones, even if it's a hobby drone or just something aside without your Part 107 license. There's liability there. You just don't want to play around with that. So definitely get your license. Number four, I would say engage your employees who are doing the drone in a quality, real drone class, some kind of professional training, You know, something that's sponsored by a university or a community college. There's a lot of fly-by-night training companies that are out there. Some of them are great. Some of them, you know, are just are new and may not have all the nuances with it. But get your folks trained. Just again, that's a shield's liability and and it'll give you confidence that you're not taking on more liability than the benefit you're going to get out of it. So those are kind of my thoughts. And then maybe start small. Don't go out and buy a, you know, $100,000 drone. Start off with a $2,000 commercial drone. Get the training and then start small and move up
0: but if the audience has any questions or wants to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing in drone technology, what's the best way to find you?
1: Probably the easiest way is just go to our professional development website, which is just clemsondrone.com. And if you don't mind, Nick, maybe you can just drop that in the show notes um, after this, but clemsondrone.com. You'll go to our page it shows all the different online classes that we have specifically for professionals. So I teach, of course, our Clemson students, but we also do professional development. So take a look at those. Uh, My contact information is in there. Um, Feel free to reach out directly to me with any questions that you might have on that. And again, we'll be happy to help you in any way we can.
0: Joe, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Nick. It was my pleasure. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at aectechpodcast.com. There, you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering and technology endeavors.